This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This podcast is proudly sponsored by the packaging division of Micromatic, the leader in keg spear quality and innovation. Let our veteran technical support staff provide you with the training and information you need to safely service your kegs. For more information, visit Micromatic.com. Probably the most common cause of uh, of failures in particularly small brewers is overfilling of kegs. This week on the show, Steve Brat joins us from Micromatic to talk about keg design, function, maintenance, and safety. Before joining Micromatic, Steve was the head brewer at Free State Brewing Company for 28 years, where I'm guessing he might have learned a thing or two about kegs. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. Great to be here. Before we talk about kegs, Steve, we should probably talk about hamburgers first, don't you think? Uh, yeah, why not? Yeah, so I was wondering, do you think, you think Village Whiskey might give us free hamburgers next time if we tell everybody how good they were? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go back and uh, do a little more quality control there yeah, for them anytime. For sure. So speaking of sponsors, I wanted to thank both you and Micromatic because the Master Brewers podcast is all grown up now. We have our first official sponsor, and it is none other than Micromatic. So uh, we really appreciate your support. So thank you very much, Steve. Absolutely. Uh, Glad to be there. I got a call a few months ago from someone who described a terrible accident that had just happened in a brewery, and he wanted to understand how it could have happened and who was at fault. I was told that a female worker was standing over a keg. She went to couple it, and the keg valve ejected into her face. It broke her jaw, knocked her teeth out. Um, It was a strange conversation where I got more questions than details, so I have no idea um, if if that was the extent of her injuries, who it was, or how she's doing. Uh, I really hope she's okay. But Steve, let's start off by explaining how accidents like that can happen and, and how they can be prevented. You know, it's always, it's it's hard to speculate because like you said, we don't have a lot of information on that, but uh, there are definitely some rules that should always be followed um, when you are uh, working on kegs, servicing kegs, operating kegs. Uh, Probably one of the first and foremost uh, rules is that kegs should be serviced, dismantled, uh, worked on in any way only by trained breweries, trained keg service company personnel, or manufacturers. Um, They shouldn't be taken apart by consumers, bartenders, home brewers, etc. None of those people should be opening up a keg. And I know there are plenty of uh, instructions out there on YouTube that will tell you uh, everything you could possibly want to know about how to dismantle a beer keg. And I can tell you that every one of them that I have seen is wrong. And most are horrifyingly unsafe. Good old YouTube. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of great stuff out there, but you have to be uh, pretty selective about it. And th- in this case, I have not seen anything I was willing to select for. Um, there are tools to be used to safely dismantle kegs. Um, typically, what that involves uh, in the case of, of the, the most common uh, drop-in style valve is a tool that that both depressurizes the keg before you can take the uh, the circlip out, and also uh, it's basically clamping that spear into place so it cannot eject from the keg while you're working on it. Right. Um, the other issue can be with um, the the other common style, though somewhat less common, is the thread-in spear. Um, the, the the modern thread-in spears, um, over the evolution of time and industry standards, um, have developed to have a safety clip inside, so that even if you unthread that all the way, um, it still has a clip that has to be uh, disengaged by a special safety tool uh, before you can pull that out of the top of the keg. Um, You should always use um, new parts um, for for safe uh, dismantling and reassembly of kegs, particularly the circlips. Um, A a remarkable number of brewers are not aware of the fact that any time that you take a a drop-in spear out of a keg it's it's held in there by a double circlip a little stainless steel ring um every time you take that apart you need to take you need to throw that clip away and put a brand new one in um i've had discussions with brewers who have tried to convince me otherwise and i can tell you that even sitting at trade shows i have taken plenty of those apart and if you don't you know, if, if you're doing it over and over again and you think, oh, I don't need to replace that because this is, you know, I'm just doing demonstrations. Uh, it's amazing how how little you have to work with that clip before it starts to show signs of a little bit of wear. And you yeah. don't want to take that chance. Yeah, those things are pretty thin. So they, they you, you can see how they would lose their shape and their, their um, ability to retain very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you want to have, you know, for one, you want to have a good quality circlet because there are different qualities of them out there. And some people um, will get a heavier circlet that they find more difficult to put in and go, well, I don't want to use that. Well, in fact, a heavier circlet more more completely fills the gap in the top of the keg um, in the in the groove there, which makes it harder to get out, which it makes it less likely to have um, any kind of failure. So sometimes harder is better. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, um, that we just kind of described one type of failure with you know a valve actually ejecting. Um, what are some What are some other ways that you see kegs and keg valves fail that are safety concerns? We'll We'll get into quality issues in a minute, but uh, safety is more important. So let's stay on that topic for now. Um, you know, main quality, you know, main main safety issues, um, I think, are going to be people that haven't had the proper training to work on kegs. Um, and that means the keg has to be depressurized. Um, that's that's just the, the beginning no-brainer. It has to be depressurized before you work on it. And as I have told people 
training people in breweries over the years in any number of circumstances, um, you know, trust but verify. Um, don't don't assume that your brew partner or your keg servicing partner has depressurized that keg that you're about to take apart. Make sure that you know it's depressurized and you're using the right tools to do it. Um, you know, the, the, the failures that can happen with kegs tend to be from matters of abuse. Um, otherwise, uh, you can have, you know, really the only way to build up enough pressure in a keg to cause a catastrophic failure unless there has been, uh, you know, an, an unsafe servicing done to the keg is going to be uh, somebody throws it on a bonfire, which we would like to think doesn't happen very often. <laughs> but if you get... Yeah, you get that level of, uh, you know, that level of heat in there and, and you build up steam pressure, uh, then you can have a failure. So I would discourage, I discourage people from even throwing cans or bottles of beer on a bonfire because that just turns into little grenades and, uh, you know, a keg would turn into a big grenade. Sure would. And I think I, you may have said this already, but I think also going back to that trust, trust but verify comment you made, you know, I think under no circumstance should you stand over the keg valve while you're working on it. You know, there's no reason to stick your face directly over top of it. And it's it's, it's a common thing that is maybe natural to want to do as you're working on something. But, you know, that's something we should always avoid, I think. Oh, you're absolutely right. And actually, when you mentioned that incident, the first thing that went through my head was exactly that. Um, you know, I... I like to ride motorcycles. One of the first things they teach you in motorcycle safety is always have an exit strategy when you come into a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very similar when you're working on a keg. That you're exactly right. You do not want to have any part of your body in the exit path um, for that spear uh, because just in case you were wrong, you don't want to have it end um, badly for you. You want to have it end with, um, hey, I was out of the way and there's a hole in the ceiling now, but nobody got hurt. Right. Okay, so keeping folks safe is the number one priority, but beyond that, we all also want to serve the highest possible quality beer. Let's talk about some failures that aren't safety risks, but affect beer quality. I I bet a lot of brewers have noticed bubbles coming out of the valve of a freshly filled keg. It's not a nice feeling at all to see that. Steve, how can we tell what's causing that leak and how to fix it? Well, there are, you know, there are several basic types of valve failures um, that can have a a quality issue for the presentation of your beer. Um, When you talk about bubbles coming out, typically what we're talking about then is going to be a CO2 leak. Um, CO2 leaks occur around the outside of the CO2 valve. And, you know, before before we go into that discussion, I'd like to run through maybe just a, a quick um, a quick rundown of some of the nomenclature because I don't want to start talking. Everybody has different words for different parts. Yeah, let's and do it. Yeah, I, I'd like great. to make sure that we've got the, got a common thing. Uh, you know, the CO two valve in the spear—that's that big rubber donut that you see in the top. Uh, you know big black or in the in the, the current generation um, perhaps a colored um, rubber ring uh, the beer valve is either the ball or the poppet depending on the type of uh, the type of uh, valve design that you have that's the, the shiny button of stainless steel uh, that's in the middle um, the body is the 
the main part of the top of the spear that contains the springs that hold the uh, uh, the CO2 and the beer valve in place, and then the base of the, uh, the spear is the down tube. So as you run into issues of a, a different types of leakage, the gas leaks are going to be almost universally a matter of some foreign material that is in the uh, in the in the gas side of the CO2 valve. So that's going to be the outer side of that ring. That's where the gas seats. The gas goes in through the outside. The beer comes up through the middle. Uh, Typically, what you see, particularly in craft breweries, where uh, you know a lot of times we're, we're we're doing a very manual process of cleaning out those keg valves, and you're using something that's either a, a scrubby pad or it's something that looks like a little toilet bowl brush. You'll find bits of bristles or even small threads of scrubby pad that have gotten lodged down in there, and it doesn't take very much to allow a pathway for gas to escape. And if you can remove that um, foreign object, the leak goes away. Uh, the other cause for that can simply be extreme age in the CO2 valve uh, as the rubber ages and goes through multiple cleaning and filling cycles. It gets more brittle um, and it gets um, you know, more likelihood that you may actually develop some crack in the rubber that could allow that gas to escape. The beer leaks um, are the ones that are, of course, the easiest to see in some ways. Uh, so you, uh, you know, you pull the cap off of your keg that you've just filled, um, and there's beer in there. You can see the beer oozing up and out, and that can be that can be the result of several things. Um, it can be damage to that CO2 valve uh, because where it interfaces with the beer valve there in the middle, anything that takes pieces out of that rubber on the valve creates a potential for leakage. Uh, it can be damaged to the beer valve itself. Uh, either the ball or the poppet um, can get nicks or scratches uh, as a result of either um, damaged equipment that's being used in the tapping, um, in the cleaning, or in the filling of the keg that's created scratches there. Uh, weak or damaged springs um, can mean that the beer valve isn't pushing up solidly into place where it belongs. Um, and probably the most common cause of, uh, of failures in particularly small brewers is overfilling of kegs. Uh, a keg is designed to have headspace in it. Uh, and that headspace creates a cushion. And when that keg warms up or that keg gets jostled around, um, having that cushion against the hydraulic pressure inside there um, goes a long way to preventing uh, valve failure. Coming up, more stuff you should know about kegs. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. This podcast is proudly sponsored by the packaging division of Micromatic. In 2015, Micromatic introduced the concept of a 10-year, 10-color coating of CO2 valves as a tool for brewers to proactively separate kegs which are due for spear service or replacement. 
Industry veterans John Graber and Steve Brott are available for workshops and presentations to ensure safe and effective maintenance of your Micromatic spears. For more information, visit Micromatic.com. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Western New York meets September 18th at Swiftwater in Rochester. The District St. Louis Golf Tournament is September 21st. District Ontario's 2017 Iron Brewer is September 29th in Toronto. Don't miss the 2017 Master Brewers Conference, October 12th through the 14th in Atlanta. Come early for the HACCP course if you need to build a food safety program at your brewery. District Michigan and St. Louis both meet on October 19th. The District Northwest Fall Meeting is October 20th and 21st in Eugene. District Mid-South's Fall Meeting is October 21st at Mill Creek Brewing. The 2017 Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science Course begins October 29th in Madison. Districts Mid-Atlantic, Midwest, Milwaukee, St. Louis, and Southeast all have meetings scheduled during November. And don't miss the first District New York meeting in ages at Triumph Brewing in Princeton, New Jersey, November 11th. Hope to see you there. Check the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. So overfilling, I think, is a very interesting topic because, um, you know, a lot of small craft brewers are not working with, you know, automated keg lines and things like that. Um, what advice do you have for the small craft brewer to, to prevent from overfilling their kegs? There, there are a couple of ways that I've seen to go about it. Um, there, well, there are more than a couple of ways. Some of them are a bit more expensive, like you said, don't necessarily have the resource for uh, metering or weighing your kegs. Uh, one thing that can be done that, that prevents some level of, of overfilling is to fill your kegs upside down um there that leaves a little bit of a gap uh between the bottom of the spear and the bottom of the keg uh and creates at least a nominal amount of headspace uh it will not be the the full amount that you should have but it will be closer enough to present prevent some you know catastrophic failure from from overfilling though right uh, hopefully so. Probably okay. depends on the level of, um, for instance, temperature change inside the keg. Got it. And, and you know, here we're not talking about, you know, a keg blowing up. We're just talking about having enough extra pressure in there that it can push past any weakness that might be existing in a, in a beer valve. Another way is to fill the kegs on a bit of a tilt. Um, so you... You put a block under the edge of the chime on the bottom as you're filling it, and that ends up creating a little bit of headspace off to one corner of the keg. If you really want to dial that in, um, you figure out exactly how far you need to tilt it for each of your different keg sizes, and you do that by checking what the weight might be on the keg. You know, you uh, weigh a keg fill it up with, with beer or maybe with water, um, figure out the angle you need to create the correct headspace. Very good. How about uh, exposure to sunlight? I bet that's something that a lot of folks don't think about. 
Absolutely right. Um, and kegs that get stored outdoors are definitely vulnerable to that. It's kind of, uh, it's the same effect as what checks the uh, sidewalls on the tires on your car. Uh, rubber doesn't deal very well with ultraviolet light. Uh, one simple precaution that can be taken if you do have to store kegs outdoors is to store at least the top layer of kegs um, upside down so they don't get as much sunlight. Um, or you can store them with protective caps in place. Uh, but that is definitely a, a concern because the, the rubber will start to get old and brittle. Very good. That's great advice. Steve, are there any other common causes of keg valve failure that you think we should be aware of? Yeah, probably the other really common area, John, is in the keg wash and fill lines, uh, particularly when you get into the the more automated lines where you've got the keg being engaged by, uh, uh, you know, typically pneumatically driven uh, wash probe that, that is coming up and engaging the valves. Uh, they can have a variety of issues uh, of either design or maintenance um, by design that they're perhaps pushing the valves in too far, which creates cleaning issues and also wears out the springs in the valves by overcompressing them. Uh, the other is a simple matter of making sure that those probes are in good condition. Um, as kegs come back into the brewery, um, if you haven't gotten any foreign material out of the out of the the well of the, the neck uh, that can get jammed against those those wash probes and can do damage to them and they get sharp edges and if those sharp edges uh, push against your keg because it didn't get aligned quite right as it sat on the washer, uh, they can take chunks out of those keg valves and it's important that they address the, the keg correctly and address it gently and part of that is just examining those every single day when you start up the shift and make sure that they're smooth and they're clean and they're uh, not going to do any damage to your equipment uh, the other is the centering cone that makes sure that they're the kegs are actually lining up on center over those probes and as those start to age uh, and they start to wear out kegs can kind of wobble around and end up not being quite centered and again you can have this little pneumatic ram that's coming up and taking chunks out of your valve and next thing you know you've you've done a lot of damage and uh, done it in a hurry that's great advice and i think you know that's also applicable even if you're just filling kegs by hand and you've got a, a keg coupler i mean the same type of damage can occur to to that to the keg coupler as well so um but that's great advice thanks steve uh steve if you take proper care of a keg which as as you know is very challenging especially with all the different parties involved um but assuming you can do that how long should all these parts last in a keg we typically talk about a life cycle of six to eight years for for the valve um, in the keg. Uh, and, and at that point, uh, you need to replace the rubber parts and you need to replace the springs inside. Uh, if, the, if the valve hasn't gotten abused, you should get uh, something like that kind of cycle out of it. That's very dependent on the number of cycles that your keg takes through the brewery. Yeah. And there's an extent to which the brewery has to figure out what their life cycle is going to be. Um, I know my some of my European colleagues 
tend to talk about more like a five-year cycle. And I think in part that's because the breweries in Europe uh, have a little more direct control and they because they don't go through distribution and they get their kegs back faster. Mm-hmm. They're also somewhat smaller geographic areas for their primary turn, again, creating uh, shorter cycles, which means a shorter lifespan. Okay. Let's talk about spear length. Uh, what should that be and, and why does that matter? Uh, what it should be varies from keg to keg. Um, there is not an industry standard as far as spear length. Every half barrel doesn't have one length. Every six barrel doesn't have another. Uh, and depending on the manufacturer, um, it may not be the same from one size to the next, or they may all line up. So you have to be able to measure it and understand how. Uh, the reason that it's important is that the um, the spear is it's your wash wand um, and the length of the spear and how close that comes to the bottom of the keg makes a big difference in the efficacy of your cleaning process if that spear when you turn a keg upside down and you put it on your keg washer you're pushing um, your cleaning solution up through the wash wand and uh, which is your spear if the spear is either too short or too long, you'll create a wash pattern that that allows for shadows in the corner of the keg and creates incomplete cleaning. You may also not get a proper flow down the outside of the spear, which is actually one of the hardest uh, areas to clean if you don't have uh, the correct flow pattern set up. Um, it, it's... It's much more obvious that there's an issue with if the spear is too short, you leave beer behind in the keg. Uh, but but the cleaning is probably one of the most critical issues. To make sure you have the right length spear, uh, there are two ways to measure. One is simply to take the spear out of the keg, measure the the complete length of the spear from tip to tip, including the body, and you. So when you call to order a spear, uh, that's the length that you give. If you're not sure that your spear that's in the keg right now is the right length, and there's any question about that, uh, then you ha- you can measure the keg, and that is that's done by by getting what's what's referred to in the industry as the H3 measurement, and that measurement goes from uh, the lip on the inside of the keg neck that your spear seals against. So um, the, the O-ring on the bottom uh, side of the, the, the body where you drop it into the neck that, that seals the keg, uh, you measure from the lip that rests on all the way to the deepest part of the keg in the middle. And you take that measurement, and if it is a drop-in style spear, um, then you add 12 millimeters to that to get your total spear length. If it's a thread in, you add 15 millimeters. Um, If we're not talking about a D system valve, then there's a whole nother set of measurements, but, but that's pretty much what we're talking about today. Okay, cool. Do you have any tips for tracking keg problems? For example, we've all seen those kegs that get returned to the brewery where somebody just writes bad keg on it. And that's the worst because you have no idea if somebody just didn't like the taste of the beer. Was it foaming? Was it flat? Was it throwing rocks at the other kegs in the cold room? We just don't know. So how do you deal with, with that situation? Well, the first thing you have to do to deal with it is is 
to ascertain what was the problem. Um, you, you don't want to just throw it on the keg washer and pull it off the other end and go, eh, seems to be holding beer. I guess we'll call it good. Um, the first thing to do is to look at the keg, look at the valve, um, and see, is there any visible damage? Um, are, is there any sign that there's foreign material stuck in there? Are there chunks missing out of the rubber? Um, you know, that ring, that raised lip that goes around the center of the CO2 valve, uh, by where it, uh, it, it, it joins with the beer valve in the, in, in the middle. Uh, if that gets beat up, then your keg may fill fine. It may wash okay. But as soon as you put a coupler into it, it's going to allow gas to bleed through from the gas side of the coupler into the beer stream. And, and the keg's going to pour foamy. Uh, so you have to look carefully at how, that, uh, how the condition is of, of that valve. Uh, if you can't see anything obvious from the outside, then you need to remove that spear and see if you can figure out where an issue may be coming into play on the inside. Uh, because even, uh, for instance, if it's a, if it's a micro issue, it could be that you've got a, a very, very old CO2 valve in there that might have started to get cracks or to delaminate from its, its metal core on the inside. Um, and that can create a point that harbors uh, beer spoilage bacteria or wild yeast. Um, and you can't see that from the outside. So if you can't see it immediately, you need to take it apart. As long as you've got it apart, you should probably just go ahead and rebuild it, put a new set of parts in it so you know that everything is in tip-top shape when you put it back together. The, the other thing that's important is that you log what those issues are that you see coming back so that you can tell uh, if you start seeing the same issue over and over again. Uh, it, it gives you... Uh, an extra aid in determining where that problem may be coming from. Very good. Okay. Um, what about brewers who lease kegs or use some other type of keg service? What approaches should they take to inspecting and maintaining kegs in the brewery? Well, they need to talk to, for starters, they need to talk to the company that they're leasing their kegs from. Most of the, the companies that le lease kegs um, would would prefer that you were not doing your own keg service. They have, uh, they have their own systems in place to do that. And particularly if you're with a leasing company where you're part of a common float, um, in other words, you send the kegs out and, and whatever comes back to you might be the ones you sent out, or they might be the ones that your neighbor brewer down the street sent out and, and they sort of shift around. Uh, the most important thing is to be able to have good cleaning practices and to be able to do a good visual examination of the outside of the keg. Uh, and if you see any problems or causes for concern, then you need to contact a leasing company and ask them uh, how they'd like to have that handled. Okay, great advice. We didn't talk about uh, age determination, Steve, and I know you've got some helpful hints there. Uh, tell us some tricks or where to get the secret decoder ring. <laughs> yeah, the uh you know telling how old your beer kegs used to be, were was uh it was it, it used to be sort of like trying to tell what the package date was on your bottled beer. Uh you had to have the secret decoder ring to be able to tell um what the dots and dashes meant. And 
you know, fortunately, that along with uh, bottle code dates has improved significantly in the transparency over the years. Um, it varies from company to company. I mean, I could tell you how to identify um, older micromatic kegs um, or the keg, keg valves. Um, I can't necessarily tell you how to identify anybody else's. Uh, what's becoming more common um, in the last few years is, uh, you know, we have developed a, um, a color coding for the valves um, where we're seeing a change in valve color color every year. Uh, 2015 would have been a blue ring on the va- on the CO2 valve. 2016 was red, this year's green. Uh, and that allows you to have a quick visual reference. So if you determine that your keg lifespan should be six years and then you want to rebuild them at that point, uh, it's a lot easier to say, hey, guys, start pulling all the blue valves. It's time uh, than it is to try and get in and identify the little dots and dashes and numbers uh, that were molded into the CO2 valve on older kegs. What a great idea. I think that's really awesome. And um, so I think a good takeaway there for a lot of brewers is, hey, a couple of years from now, if you don't see any color at all in your keg valves, uh, time to start thinking about their age for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely so. That was Steve Brott from Micromatic on the Master Brewers podcast. If you'd like to connect with Steve, you can find him at just about any Master Brewers district meeting or look for him at community.mbaa.com where he's glad to answer your questions about kegs and keg valves. Thanks again to our first sponsor, Micromatic. If you'd like to sponsor the show, just visit masterbrewerspodcast.com and click contact. One hundred and thirty years ago, Master Brewers was built on the concept of brewers helping each other out so we could all make the best possible beer. That's still true to this day, and it's where a lot of the camaraderie in this industry originated. Master Brewers' award-winning Ask the Brewmasters is the best place to go for troubleshooting, where you'll find the industry's only discussion forum that's moderated for technical accuracy by a team of experts. See what everyone else is talking about at community.mbaa.com. United, we brew. The 2017 Master Brewers Conference is October 12th through the 14th in Atlanta, Georgia. Conference details can be found along with all the other great resources at mbaa.com. Did you enjoy today's episode? Would you like us to keep making more? If so, there's a really simple way you can let us know. Subscribe, rate, and review the Master Brewers podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.